All right, we're going to be continuing in our service, but this is church, amen. Just letting the Spirit lead, just letting the Spirit flow. You know, you can go to a church and you can be told all about what the Bible says, but I want to be a part of a church like ours where you get to experience the Word of God, the living Word of God, doing His work, amen. It is so, so much better. There is nothing that compares to the greatness of our God. And when you have tasted and seen how good he is, it just makes you want more. Um, Yeah. Uh, Recently, we were at the Indiana Mall while Nate was uh, practicing his parallel parking, you know, getting ready for his test Tuesday, as long as our vehicle is finished getting repaired and everything. Um, And, you know, Nate or Megan and Bethany decided they just wanted to walk around the, the great Indiana Mall in all of its glory, you know, because they were bored and they get stressed out when Nate's driving. So they decided to go to Annie Ann's Pretzels, and they got this big old cup of pretzel nuggets. And I'm like, I'll eat one. You know how that ended, right? That is what the goodness of the Lord is. If if you think Annie Ann's butter and salt is good, you got to try Jesus. You got to give Jesus a try. (laughs) It just gives you a hunger and a thirst for more. More of your presence, Lord. More of your glory here in this place, Lord. More, Lord. (laughs) I mean, it's good, but you just want more, right? It's a good hunger, a good thirst, because he satisfies it with good things, right? With himself, with his presence. It is good, so good. And we just pray, Lord, for all the kiddos here to experience your goodness and for Jen just to be empowered as she ministers out. Thank you, Jesus. So last week we learned All about the incredible power in Jesus' name. Now this morning, you got to taste and see the power in Jesus' name. So much better than hearing about it. Um, No offense, Steve, but it's just better than hearing about it. (laughs) And how Jesus chose to entrust us with his power, with his authority, with his kingdom. He chose us as ambassadors to represent him, to represent Christ here on the earth. It's a tall, tall order. But he gave us everything we need to do it. He poured out his Holy Spirit in and through our lives so that it's not about us, it's all about him. All that we have to say is, yes, Lord. I lay down my life, you just have your way. Man, wow. Get ready for a ride and an adventure when you choose to pray that prayer. This morning we're learning about one of the keys One of the keys to unlocking that power and that authority in your life, because it has to start there. It's got to start in me. I got to get rid of that plank in my eye before I can start getting sawdust out of someone else's, right? Um, It starts with his power working in my life to transform myself, my thoughts, my attitudes, my desires. Then... It is poured out into the lives of others. But this key to unlocking all of this thing, it not only has the, the, the ability to unlock God's power into our lives, it, has the key, it is the key to unlock God's blessing. It is the key to unlock God's favor. We had this conversation with my kiddos recently. You know, it's, you know we're not to show favoritism. James forbids it in the church, you know, so, you know, whatnot. But, but there is, there's a distinction between me choosing favorites and practicing favoritism and earning favor, right? 
if the girls are out doing everything that we told them not to do and Nate is at home being an obedient son, he, it's not that I'm choosing favoritism, it's that he earned my favor. Do you get this? Our English language is very confusing. There's a difference. We're all God's favorites. He doesn't pick and choose. He loves us all, you know. But we can earn God's favor. And the key to earning God's favor, the key to earning his blessing, the key to an abundant life, the key to transforming all of your chaos in life to peace, all of your fighting and, and backbiting everything in life to rest, all of your lack into plenty is obedience. Obedience. Just doing what Jesus calls you to do. It is the key to success in life. Now, obedience and submission, they're very negative words in our, in our world culture today, right? And sometimes rightfully... <laughs> I do. Okay. Uh, I feel like it's the spirit. I feel like the spirit is saying, well, some people out there, submission ain't such a bad thing. They're into that, like, Fifty Shades thing, and, you know, but anyways, because people have abused. People have abused their authority, and so submitting to somebody who abuses you, that's a negative thing. That's bad, awful, but there's a reason the enemy has painted such a bad picture of a, of of obedience and submission because he knows it's the key to unlocking your abundant life. He doesn't want you to be obedient and submissive. He wants you to be prideful and arrogant, and it's my way, and I'm about me first, you know? That's how he wants us to walk, but God wants us to walk in obedience with a humble spirit because in the kingdom of God, obedience is never forced. God never forces anyone to do his will. I have asked him to do it, and he refused. <laughs> Believe you me. When I, when I was struggling with things and I wanted set free, I'm like, Lord, just make me not do it. <laughs> he never answered that prayer. Anyone, did he ever answer that prayer for you all? No, he's like, just, I gave you my spirit. I gave you the power. I gave you the authority. You walk in it. Learn to walk in it. He won't override our will. Submitting to God is completely a free choice. God extends to us a simple invitation into his plans, into his purposes, into his abundance of life, into his blessing. It's an invitation into his sheltering presence. He invites us to follow his ways which lead into the abundance of life and into rich blessing. And that invitation... The way to accept it is through obedience and submission. Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus struggled with it in the flesh, okay? You're not alone. It's a hard thing to do. He had to pray three times. Not my will, but yours be done, Father. If, if God in the flesh struggled in the flesh to submit and to obey the Heavenly Father's will, we're going to do it too. It's okay. It's part of the human experience. It's part of being in this flesh. But there is a blessing. Look what the Father did through Jesus' obedience in taking on the cross. Look what it earned. And that's why he considered it joy. It wasn't joyous. But he considered it joy because of what it earned on the other side. Our salvation. Our freedom. Obediently 
Submitting to Jesus is different from obediently submitting to any person. Because submitting to Jesus, the one who first gave his life for us, right? The one who truly and perfectly loves us. The one who has only our best interest in mind. Who desires only good things for us. Who created us on purpose and for a purpose. When we submit to him, it's all gain and very little loss. He's not going to abuse us. He's not going to neglect us. He's not going to misuse his authority over us when we choose to submit to him. Obedience to God as a child of God is the key to unlocking the goodness of God in our lives. Where we can taste and see and know that he is good. And it's like this child with the, just trusting the father. You know, our kids didn't always want to hold our hands. I'll never forget the time that Nate was like two and he decided to break free from us at Target and to go up and like, there's a car wheel driving by. I'm going to go and smack that wheel as it's driving through the parking lot. And we were horrified and everything, you know, and he just thought it was fun. He was giggling. Oh, it's fun to run away from mom and dad, you know. Look at them. Look at them. And it's like, no, you're going to die. <laughs> Trust your father, okay? You may think it's fun and a wild time and just good times, he knows how dangerous it is. He knows it leads to death. He knows it leads to destruction. Trust him. Cling to his hand through every season. It's not all going to feel good, but it's all going to lead to goodness. It's all going to end good. It's, you know, when we walk as, as obedient children of God. To see all this happening, this key of obedience happening in the real historical life of somebody. We're going to turn, and if you have your Bibles, um, I had to turn to paper. I don't know where my phone's at. Yeah, you know, I, I was told that if you love it, you've got to put a ring on it, you know? I, 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 apparently my ringer's off somewhere. I don't know where my phone's at this morning, but that's all right. We got backups upon backups. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 15. We're going to look at, um, at a man who came from a little bit of a rough background. His name is Asa. Came from a rough background. Um, his father was a king, but he was an evil one. And his reign only lasted three years. His father continued his family traditions. I grew up country. Hank Williams, you know, is just a family tradition. You know, it's, that's why we drink. It's why we smoke. It's why we live out all the songs we wrote. Now, no one else country in here. It's Western Pennsylvania. Come on. Anyways... That was his father. His father lived in his family traditions of evil and sin and rebellion against God. Um, in fact, it says this here in 1 Kings 15, verse 3. It says about Asa's father. Um, I believe it was Abijah, right, is his father's name. Um, yes. Um, it said that he committed all the sins his father before him had done. His heart wasn't fully devoted to the Lord as God. He talked about God. You, get, you know that kind of person? They talk about Jesus. If you ask them, they'll say, yeah, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. But their walk is not backing up their talk. Their behaviors and their attitudes and their motives and their lifestyle, it just isn't matching up. That was sort of what Asa's father was. He said he followed the Lord wholeheartedly, but his actions said a different thing. And as a result, his reign only lasted three years. All kinds of evil and wicked things happened. Asa's grandmother, this is Abijah's dad, she was a real piece of work. She was what was known as a queen mother. You see, in, in the cult eastern culture of that day, polygamy was pretty common. God's people picked up the practice as well. By the way, it never ended well. 
Just because David and Solomon and all the kings had several wives, it was not God's plan and purpose. It always led to problems. Don't tell her I got one wife and that leads to enough problems. I can't imagine having hundreds, you know? I mean, whew. No wonder that guy lived in a palace separate from all of his wives and their households, you know? I mean, <laughs> but no, his grandmother was described in the Bible as a wicked woman. But a queen mother, it's Jabira in the Hebrew, she held a position of authority. Because we think of the typical Disney king and queen, his wife was the queen, because the kings had several wives, usually it was the mother that filled that role as queen. She was the queen. Her position was one of counsel and intercession to the king. It gave her a lot of influence over the entire nation and over the, uh, the way that the reign would take place of that king. She would even rule the land in between kings, this, this queen mother. It was so bad that Asa eventually fired his own grandmother from her position of queen mother because of her unrelenting wickedness. It's got to be bad to fire grandmama. You know, I can't imagine firing my Grammy, you know, it just, I can't, that, it's got to be pretty bad. Now I'm sharing all this background information for one reason only. Here's the cool part about Asa's story and how it begins. We have the opportunity to break generational curses. You don't have to follow in your family traditions. You get to choose your family traditions. You get to start a new path for your children. Now, the sins of the father and grandfather may follow to the third and fourth generation, but the blessing follows for 10,000 generations. That's what we're beginning. We are breaking generational habits and curses. We're not saying it runs in my family anymore because I'm in a new bloodline. I've got a new bloodline. It's the blood of Jesus, right? That's my family line. That's my bloodline. I'm not going to follow in those sins of my father and grandfather and everything. Right? We don't have to follow in them. We can forge new traditions. We can begin new legacies. We can set a new pattern of life to follow. We can choose to proclaim like Joshua did. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Y'all can do whatever else you want to do. You go do you. But as for me and my house, we're serving the Lord. That can be your new family tradition. We love Jesus. You know where you can find us on a Sunday morning? Our butts are in a church somewhere. You know, you know what you can find us doing when people curse us? We be blessing them. You know, we, we, we can start a new family tradition. And, and I praise Jesus for so many here who are starting new family traditions. I remember, I'm going to share a little bit of my family tradition. You know, my grandmama, she, she still never broke free from the bottle. You know, all kinds of stories I thought was normal growing up. But my mom, she broke that tradition. She didn't follow in that. Woo! So, yeah. <laughs> And we have testimony after testimony here in this room of a puny 30-some people of all of the curses of their families that are broken in Jesus' name forever. Yeah, you can choose a new path. So we're starting in 2 Chronicles chapter 14, Asa. And that's what he is doing. That is what he is choosing to do. And that is what you and I can choose to do this morning. And it says, Abijah, who is Asa's father, this story starts with tragedy, he rested with his ancestors. He was buried in the city of David. Asa, his son, one of 22, by the way, and I think 18 sisters, a big family, lots of wives anyways, but Asa was chosen to succeed Abijah as king. 
And in his days, the country was at peace for 10 years. Now, there's a reason that we get that foreshadowing, that there was peace for 10 years. Because in the next verse, we don't see peace. We see what led to peace. Asa did what was right. Asa did what was good in the eyes of the Lord his God. Do you see that, that focus to set a new family tradition? I don't care what happened before me. I'm doing what is good and right in the eyes of Jesus. I'm following the Lord my God, and I'm doing what's right in his eyes. He removed the foreign altars and all the high places. He smashed the sacred stones. If any of y'all have ever smashed stone or brick or concrete before, you know what that process looks and sounds like. It's messy. He cut down the Asherah poles. Anyone ever do some, yeah, plenty of people here eating with wood and whatnot. You know what it's like when you cut down some of those trees. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and to obey his laws and commands. There's a new way of doing things in the land of Judah. He removed the high places, the incense altars, in every single town in the land of Judah. And the kingdom was at peace under him. Now, it's easy to read verses like this, and I've done it many times, and to miss what happened here. I gave you a little taste of it, you know, to, to think about it. Think about what really happened here. The people in the land were worshiping other gods. Not Yahweh, not the one true living God. They're following all these foreign gods. You know, they set up Asherah pools uh, so that the fertility goddess Asherah would bless their crops and livestock and bring them prosperity. Now, this new king starts to reign and goes around literally and spiritually cutting down everything that the people considered to be sacred. Everything that the people attributed to their success and their prosperity in life. This new king goes around and smashes sacred stones, removes altars, high places that were made to worship other gods. Just the physical act of destroying all of these objects would have been loud and messy and chaotic. And imagine the relational consequences. You think people were happy with this new king that came in and just changed everything and told me who I'm allowed to worship, that I'm not allowed to worship Asherah anymore, that I'm not allowed to, to follow the Baals, that all of a sudden I have to worship the Jewish God? It probably wouldn't have went over very quietly, would have it? I mean, think about it. But that season of chaos resulted in peace. It resulted in tranquility for 10 years. So parents with toddlers, I can confess to you, all the chaos of disciplining them over and over and over again when they are two and three and four, it is well worth it when they're 16, 15, and 14, okay? All the spankings in Dollar General, you know, Ugh, all the embarrassment, it's worth it. Stick to doing what God is calling you to do. Raise them up in the Lord. It is chaos for a season, but it brings peace. I'm glad I don't have to deal with what my friend, my kids' friends' parents have to deal with, all right? You know, I'm glad that we've got well-behaved kids overall. Yeah, they stumble and fall, but it's worth it. Chaos for a season purchases for us a season of righteousness and peace that endures in the long term. 
when we make the choice to stand with Jesus and to serve the Lord only, to do things his way and not the world's ways, believe you me, it brings chaos and conflict at first, doesn't it? People don't get it. They don't understand it. Why don't you come, you know, drinking with me anymore? Why, why don't you? Come on. What's the big deal? It's not going to hurt you. And you don't even have to do that. Just come and hang out with us. You know, you know the chaos that results when you first are setting your life straight. When you choose to obediently submit to the Lord, it is not an act that goes unnoticed. Choosing to get rid of sin in our lives, it is a demolition project. It is loud. It is messy. It's chaotic. And to everyone looking at it, it looks like you are destroying your life. You're giving up everything that you worked hard to build. Like, what are you doing? You're, you're, you're destroying yourself, you know? It looks exactly like that. It looks like a great loss to everyone around you, but you know that it's earning you a great gain. Putting to death our old selves, putting to death our old deeds, it looks like destruction. But we know that it is only the demolition part of the process. There's a rebuilding phase coming. And God's going to rebuild this life. And when he builds it back up, there's not going to be any loss. There's going to be only gain. I'm not even, you know what, the, the glory that is coming, no one's even going to think about the way this place used to look, right? No one's going to think about the way this, this house used to look, the way this life used to look. Because the glory of God possesses it now. Now after the demolition work settles, it's time to start building, and that's what Judah, or, uh, Asa did. He went around destroying everything that was sinful and wicked and evil, everything that was tripping God's people up. Nobody liked it, but it happened. Then he started building. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I said we don't get political here in the church, but um, anyways, we're going to the Word of God in verse 6. He built up the fortified cities of Judah, and the land was at peace. No one was at war with him during those years. The Lord gave them rest. Asa said to Judah, let's start building up these towns. Let's put walls around them with towers and gates and bars. What a wicked thing for someone to do, right? <laughs> Putting up walls around your nation so they're at peace. Now, before we get too political, you know this whole you know, um, 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 come on, Jesus. Come on. No, no, the cities of refuge, the, come on, help me out of our sanctuary cities. Sanctuary cities, sanctuary states. That was God's idea. Read through the book of Leviticus. He's the one that defined them. He, he set up places of sanctuary for criminals to go. So, yeah, that's a whole other message for a whole other time. But... Asa said to Judah, let's put walls up around our cities with towers and gates and bars. Why did he say? Because the land's still ours. And it's only ours because we sought the Lord our God. We sought him and he has given us rest. So they built up the walls around the nation and as a result they prospered. Don't you miss when we were energy independent? Don't you miss when there was peace when we thought we were going to get blown up by South Korea, but we didn't, we were respected again. I'm sorry. I, I don't know why I'd be saying any of these things. I, I don't stand on anything one way or another politically, but we continue on in the word of God. Asa had, Asa had an army of 300,000 men from Judah. 
equipped with huge shields and spears. 280,000 people from Benjamin, armed with small shields and bows. I don't know why Benjamin got the little stuff, but anyways. All these were brave fighting men. The land was at peace. There was rest. There was no war taking place. But Asa was raising up an army with mighty weapons, ready and able to destroy any enemy that came in their place. Asa still worked in a time of peace to fortify the cities and towns. Asa trade and prepared and equipped a massive army for war when there was absolutely none. This old saying of wisdom holds true. Pray for the best, plan for the worst. When you are in a time of blessing and rejoicing, when God is just everything to you, don't let your guard down because there's still an enemy out there that wants to trip you up. Right? During a time of peace and rest, guard your heart. Build up the fortification around your thoughts, around your attitudes with God's truth, with God's ways, with God's principles. Because you know the enemy's relentless and there is another battle that is laying ahead of us. Guard your heart, guard your thoughts, guard your behaviors and your attitudes. Everything flows from them. When, when God is good, guard them. When, God, when you're not sure what God is doing and things aren't going so great, guard them. Because the war eventually began. In verse 9, Zerah the Cushite marched out against them with an army of thousands upon thousands upon thousands. 300 chariots came as far as Marasha. Asa went out to meet them. They took up their battle positions in the valleys of Bepha near Masherah. And then guess what they did? Verse 11. They went out into their battle positions. Thousands upon thousands were coming their way. And what is the first thing that the king of this nation does? Calls out to the Lord. Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless among the mighty. Help us, Lord our God. We rely on you alone. Huge shields, mighty warriors, hundreds of thousands of people. But what were they relying on? Not on their numbers, not on their strength, not on their might, not on their weapons. They were relying on the Lord their God. He said, help us, Lord, our God, for we rely on you alone. And in your name, we have come against this vast army. It's not us, it's you. Lord, you are our God. Do not let mere mortals prevail against you. They took themselves out of the picture. My life is not about me. My life is about representing you. When someone comes after me, it's not personal, it's you. My life is yours. He laid down the lives of the nation and said, Lord, they're yours. And guess what happened in verse 12? The Lord struck down the Cushites before Asa and Judah. The Lord struck them down. The Cushites fled. Their enemy, they came rushing in with thousands and thousands and chariots. They went running tails between their legs running literally stumbling over themselves running and then asa and his army pursued them as far as gerar such a great number of cushites fell that they couldn't recover they were crushed before the lord and his forces the men of judah carried off a large amount of plunder they destroyed all the villages around gerar and the terror of the lord fell on them all 
They looted all these villages since there was so much plunder there. They also attacked the camps of the herders and carried off droves of sheep and goats and camels. And they returned then back to the land of Jerusalem. Although Asa did his part to prepare for the battle, he was faithful and obedient to do his part. He acknowledged the battle was still the Lord's. We must obediently do our part in faith and then trust that the Lord will always faithfully hold up his end of the bargain, right? It is a covenant relationship. This is not a contract like you signed Verizon where you got to find the small print, you know, of how they're going to get you. God doesn't get you. God blesses you. His promises are all good. There's no small print. He is open and honest and transparent. It is a covenant. He is always faithful to uphold his part if we are faithful to do ours. And he did this. And he brought such, not only deliverance to them, he brought such blessing to them. I love it when the Lord, when the enemy is set against you and the Lord's like, all right, fine then. Like they get caught in their own trap. And not only that, what was theirs is now yours. When the Lord blesses you with what the enemy stole, that's what he does. The Lord responded and he fought their battle for them. The victory was great. The plunder was greater. And we continue in 2 Chronicles chapter 15. Then the Spirit of God came on Azirah, son of Oded. He went out to meet Asa, and he said to him, Listen to me, Asa, and all of Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with him. The Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But, and remember that's what my previous pastor used to say, buts are big in the Bible. But, but, if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Because you know in this relationship, the Lord's steadfast. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. He never changes, he never goes anywhere. His kingdom is always at hand. It's always right there. The question is whether we are using the key of obedience to unlock it and to enter into it, or whether we're, whether we're walking in our own way and choosing our own path, and that can lead to some pretty awful places. It always leads outside of his sheltering, outside of his covering, outside of his protection, outside of his blessing. You may feel blessed for a season, but it's not going to last forever. The best place to be is right in the center of the Lord's will. Whatever that is for you in your life. Whatever he is calling you to do, that's where you need to be. That is exactly where you need to be. And so he continued on here. And he explained, he said in verse 3, For a long time Israel was without the true God. His own people were without God. They were without a priest to teach them. They were without the law. But, and here's a good but that's big in the Bible, in their distress... They turned to the Lord. They turned to the God of Israel. They sought after him, and he was found by them. And in those days, in those days, it was so bad that it wasn't safe to travel about. Who knows if we're going to see days like that in our land if we don't turn back to the Lord, right? It wasn't safe to travel. All the inhabitants of the lands, they were in great turmoil. One nation was being crushed by another and one city by another because God was troubling them with every kind of distress. Why? Because they weren't seeking after them. He's like, you're on your own. But as for you, 
Be strong. That's what the Lord is speaking to you this morning. As for you, be strong. Don't give up. And your work will be rewarded. And when Asa heard the words of this prophecy of Azariah, son of Oded, the prophet, he took courage. Was Asa courageous? No, he took courage. He took it from the Lord. He took courage from the prophetic word. He took courage from the prophetic word. And you can do the same. You can do the same. It says that he removed the detestable idols from the whole land of Judah and Benjamin, from the towns he had captured in the hills of Ephraim. He repaired the altar of the Lord that was in front of the portico of the Lord's temple. And so we remember this, this truth that the Lord is with us when we are with him. We live and we work in cooperation with God. When we are cooperating with him, we're blessed. Things go well. We live an abundant life. When we choose to walk out of that, not so much. Things can get pretty rough pretty fast, right? But we're also reminded that the good work we once did, it's never over. While we live in this flesh, our work before the Lord is never finished. It's never complete. Just because you overcame something once in your life doesn't mean you got to just forget about it. You got to keep working to overcome it. Anyone who's ever battled an addiction knows that. You know, you can't just be like, oh, I'm fine. I'm, I'm delivered, you know, and just go right back to it. You know you're going to get trapped right back in it again. It is a life of freedom. It is a life of work. It's a lifelong process to clean up our lives, to rid them of everything that hinders us, the sin that so easily entangles us, and to continue in a passionate pursuit after God. It's a lifestyle of maintaining the balance of living here in this world full of temptations for our flesh, but with a stronger desire to allow the spirit of the living God within us to overcome it all. It's a lifestyle of choosing to please God and not ourselves. It is a lifestyle of obedience and submission, trusting that what God wants for us, what God is taking us through, what God allows in our lives, it is going to end good. We are going to encounter his goodness in the end. When we are with him, when we are seeking him, when we are pursuing him, then he is found by us and he abides with us. There is a covering and a protection and a shelter in the presence of the Lord. When we stand on the word of God, both his written word and the prophetic words that have been spoke to us, we find courage. We find encouragement. We gather up the courage to face any obstacle that might ever come our way. We stand with confidence because we know, like Asa did, that the battle is not ours. The battle is the Lord's. We're reminded what Paul spoke to Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18 through 19. He said, Timothy, my son, I am giving you this command. What is the response to any command? Obedience. You're either going to obey the command or you're not. You're going to either obey the speed limit out here or you're not. Forgive me, Lord. Um, you know, that's, that's it. You're either going to walk in obedience or disobedience. There's no gray area. There's no shades of gray in this area. It's a command. I either obey it or disobey it. Okay, so Paul gave Timothy a command. And this command was in keeping with the prophecies that were once made about him so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well. It was true for Asa. He found courage in the prophetic word of God. It is true for you as well. You can fight the battle well by remembering your prophetic words. 
And if you don't have a prophetic word for the situation you're facing, go back to the tried and true and trustworthy written word of God. And if you can't find a written promise, ask someone, ask me. I'll give you probably a book of promises for your situation because God's word is that thorough. I can probably give you a book of people in the word of God who faced the same thing you're facing and yet overcame it. There is nothing new under the sun. The temptation you're dealing with, it's nothing new. Men and women of God have gone before you and overcome it. Walk in their victory. Learn how to walk in their victory. Stand on the word of God and you can fight the battle well. Because he went on to Timothy and he said, hold on to your faith. Hold on to a good conscience. Because some have rejected these things. And as a result, they have suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. We're reminded of our own church's recent breakthrough that came as a fulfillment of several of God's prophetic promises, right? Give God some glory, yeah! Woo! Paid in full! I love it. I mean, Jesus said it, and it's true, and I'm still, I still can't believe it. I'm still in shock by it. It came in at an unexpected time. It came in an unexpected way. The person is anonymous, but I guarantee none of you here would ever guess them. You would never guess who it was, you know, because what they said is it came from the Lord, not from them. I mean, this was just a fulfillment of his promise. God is faithful to fulfill his word. Uh, we're coming up on the Christmas season. What did the angel tell Mary? No word from God will ever fail. I mean, that's literally what he said. Luke 1, 37. If you, if you walk away from here with no other encouragement or remembrance of what I blabbed away at, remember this. God's word will never fail. What better thing to stand on? What better thing to fight with? Fight with his word. Stand on his word because it'll never, ever fail you. It'll always do exactly what it was set out to accomplish. The Lord is with us when we are with him. The Lord is for us when we are for him. When we walk in obedience to him, nothing is impossible for us. When we walk in obedience to him, his power is unleashed into our lives, transforming us into a new creation. And then he says, go have some fun with it. Go out there. There's a lost world out there living in darkness and hopelessness. There's a world out there living in fear. Let the one true living hope within you transform their lives too. Have some fun. Heal the captives. Set the blind free. You know, just... Heal the captives. Do the opposite, but anyways, you, you get what I'm saying. As God prophetically told Asa, he is not finished yet. As for you, be strong. Don't give up, for your work will be rewarded. It will come at just the right time in just the right way if you don't give up. If you keep pursuing him, if you keep sheltering yourself in his presence, if you keep walking in obedience to God, he will not let you down. You will walk through some really hard things. He let his own son take on the cross. You want to talk about hardship in life? It doesn't get any harder than that. But look what he did for his son. He raised him back up to life eternal. Gave him the name above every name. Gave him all power, all authority. You may walk through some hard stuff in life, but God is not walking you through it for your destruction. It is just a demolition season. He is walking you through it to scrape some junk off of your life and to rebuild you stronger and 
better than you ever could have been before. The glory of the Lord will accomplish all these things. Today is the day of salvation, right? If I could have the worship team come forward, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day. It's the day when we can shake off our old selves, our, our past that once so ensnared us and entangled us. It is time to put them behind us once and for all and for good. It is time to step into the new life that God has prepared for us. Today is the day that we can become a new creation in Him, right? And it is all made possible, all made possible through his salvation and our obedience. And so this morning, Jesus, we accept your invitation into a new life. Jesus, take us as we are. Take, us, take our doubt, take our fears, take our hopelessness, take our successes, our failures, our good, our bad, our ugly. Take it all, Jesus, and just have your way. Build our lives, Jesus. Take my mess and make it into a message, God. Take all my failed tests and turn them into a testimony of your goodness. Let my life be the clear evidence of you at work. That there is nothing too hard for you, God. You can take anyone and do good. So we thank you for your goodness that is here meeting us this morning, Lord. You are worthy, Lord, more than we can ever bring. But what we have, we offer to you in your name, Jesus.